What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another week, week 18 of the playbook with Joey and Zach. We do know we didn't have a show this past Wednesday. The Celtics had game one. I was at the Red Sox game. Um, we had some reasons, obviously, but we're back at it now live. A little bit different than our normal episodes. We're coming live from 2000 Com Ave, our dorm. This is probably our yeah, second time. Second time since the uh, Pod special. We're back here. Exactly. We had to run this live off of a, a big yeah. wiffle ball game just now. So yeah, big wiffle ball game. Coming in fresh from that. big runs from Joey Malari. We, we had a good game. It was 8-5. It was a solid matchup. You know, we had a, either good amount, good amount of innings, probably eight innings. So it was a good game. Now we're jumping into the Celtics. Uh, yeah, let's get right into it. Jump right into the Celtics, and then I'll get into some other things at the end. So. The AOS game, FNWA tonight, BC Baseball versus Virginia Tech. Big game. I'll cover that later on. Me and Zach going to talk Celtics before he leaves. All right, Celtics came three tonight. What are your, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on game one and two? I mean, we can, do, we can go uh, anywhere. I mean, game one and two are incredible. Uh, obviously, Tatum Brown, um, despite having not like incredible shooting performances, both played unbelievably, uh, both in terms of playmaking on offense and defensively. Both played extremely hard. Um, someone I've been psyched about this series is Al Horford. Um, you know, having what, like 20 and 15 the first game. Who's a lead? Uh, he's been a beast. Um, guarding the paint really well, especially at the Bruce Brown's comments the other week saying it's going to be easy to attack the paint for the Nets uh, without Rob Williams. Who, by the way, him coming back tonight I think will be big. Um, not so much tonight, but definitely in games four and five as he starts to ease back into the game because he'll be playing limited minutes tonight. Um, so definitely excited for him to come back. Ben Simmons should be coming back Monday as well, so that'll make things a little bit more interesting. But the way things are looking right now, I guess all does in five. I mean, you look at the way this team's playing defensively. Uh, Tatum's locked up Kevin Durant really well, uh, holding them to 0% second half uh, in the last game. Um, I just see the Celtics team. I mean, I don't really see it. I, if we can keep playing like this, I don't see anyone beating the Celtics right now. Um, you know, we've just been playing team ball, everyone's scoring. Um, you know, there's no hero ball out there. So I got Celtics in five right now. I bet Nets will either take... Game three or game four at home, and then Celtics are going to close it out game five. What do you got? I mean, yeah, games one and two. Uh, Kyrie obviously had a phenomenal game one. Kevin Durant wasn't really on game one. Shots were just in and out this last game. He was just missing shots that he usually makes, and they weren't even in and out. He was just not on. Obviously, the defense was a big part of it. Tatum played very good defense on him. Uh, Grant Williams played a little bit on him. Uh, they kind of switched around on him. Brown was on him a little yeah, bit. They did. We had a lot um, of switches. We had a lot of guys covering them. Exactly. A lot of guys were on them. Obviously, you got to keep that intensity up. Game one was really close. Um, With game two, though, game one, one, big win, uh, won by a point, obviously, close game right to the last second. Uh, Game two, though, the interesting thing was Bruce Brown was running his mouth, but it was warranted, I guess, because he had an 11-0 run to start the game. A 9-0 run was nuts. It was 11, first 11 points of the game was him. I the first half, the Nets were beating us by what? In game two. 17 at one point. Yeah, we came back. Tough. Yeah, we came all the way back. 17-point deficit. That was awesome. Came back, obviously. And you get a lot of contributions to a lot of guys. Obviously, Grant Williams played great in game two. 17 points, six, re- uh, four rebound, six rebounds. Excuse me. He shot really well, too. Uh, Three-pointers were on. He had two in a row at one point. That was a huge swing for us. Peyton Pritchard, too. Pritchard has been playing great. With that one step back three at the end of game two, that was. Yep. I mean, I know my boys, Timmy and Matt, they were on my show last week. Also, I want to apologize. Last week's episode, last Wednesday, before Easter break, I had a two hour special for Collins. It was great. Didn't record, so I apologize for that. Matt and Timmy, though, big Payne Pritchard guys. He played great off the bench, hit some clutch threes in the fourth quarter. Um, a layup, too, he had. He was, he was great. A couple he steals. A he was a great scorer. A couple mid range pull ups, yeah. What he finished with? 10 points. I mean, they were, they were all clutch points. Yeah, I think great. they were all probably second half. I mean, he didn't really get many minutes in the first half. It was all fourth quarter, really, right? Him and Jalen Jalen Brown really took over in the fourth. I only got to really watch the fourth quarter. Me and Mark Walsh, Joey Hosey Jacob. Oh, we yeah, were at the Red Sox, Sox game, yeah. So the way we've been forced in tournaments has been unreal. A lot of that's been coming from Smart, Tatum, Brown, those guys. Horford too. He's gotten in there, gotten a couple steals. Um, 
I mean, it's just been a whole team defensive effort, and everything is really intense, which I love to see because this is a total 180 from the team that we were seeing, you know, three months ago, four months ago. Yeah. Uh, that didn't even hustle back to get on defense. So. And you know me and hustle. I talk about every episode. So yeah, I, I love my hustle, which the team's obviously up now. And you're up 2-0, though. It's a big difference between 3-0 and 2-1. I'd love to win tonight. I do think Durant will be on tonight um, just because, I mean, he's had two bad games. He never really has any bad games. So I'd imagine Durant will be on tonight. It'll be a tougher matchup with him. Um, I think it'll be a close game once again. I think the Nets win game three like you do. Um, I think the Celts bounce back win game four because, obviously, if it's 2-1, 3-1 versus 2-2 is an even bigger difference because the whole, whole series changes. 3-0 is obviously a big difference with, with uh, 0-3, yeah, game but four Game 4 is going to be huge. Um, so winning one of the games in Brooklyn, I think, is a win on its own. I would take yeah. one of them. And then, obviously, yeah, I think the Celtics just taking one of those games. I'd prefer today winning just because 3-0 yeah, would be awesome, but, yeah, yeah. but um, way, I, mean, I wouldn't be disappointed if we just won Game 4 instead at, at Brooklyn. One, uh, if we're up 3-1 coming out of Brooklyn, that would be ideal. Which just would I'll set up. Row, if Brooklyn were to take one, this would set up Wednesday night being Game 5. Because uh, Monday night would be Game Four in Brooklyn, and the Game Five would be probably the roundout time of our show, oh, and that'd probably be an eight o'clock game. It'll probably be an eight o'clock game realistically. They haven't announced it yet. Um, it's TBD right now. Obviously, today's seven thirty. Monday's a seven o'clock game. There's a chance. I mean, if it's if it's two two, that game will be an eight o'clock game. But if it's three one, it'll probably be a seven o'clock game realistically. So, I mean, series could be over before that. Who knows? I mean, it could be four zero. Who knows? I mean, I'm not saying. Obviously, I'm not trying to jinx that. I mean, you got to win one game at a time, take one play at a time. Just got to play for tonight, and Play to go up 3-0 right now. So. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, what are your predictions players-wise? Who do you think has to step up in tonight's game? For the Celtics, I think that's the defense overall. We're going to score yeah, points. Definitely. you got to keep Kevin Durant. I think he's going to have a good game. I see Durant going for 35, probably, realistically. I think you got to keep him hitting. He's going to hit his shots probably tonight. I think he's going to be on. Make it at least as tough as you can on him. Slow him down at least to the best ability you can. Um, I think that's going to be the biggest thing. I'm not going to pick a certain player. I think if I had to pick one, I'd go Jalen Brown um, with how great he played in that fourth quarter. He was unreal. So. I'm go, I'll go Jalen, but the defense overall, I think that needs to be, yeah, I, be I locked in again. Too. I think being, the ability to force those turnovers, all those turnovers that we forced uh, in games one and two were absolutely huge in getting both those wins. We scored a lot of points off turnovers in both of those. Gave us a lot of extra possessions. Um, but my player to keep an eye on tonight is Grant Williams. I think he's had a great series so far, and he's really stepped up in a big way this year. Um, he needs to continue being an elite defender, You know, getting up on KD, getting up on... Um, some of the Nets' big men. Um, I mean, because he can really guard the three through five, Grant. Uh, he's been an elite defender for us. Uh, and his ability just to keep shooting the three, too, um, just spacing the floor, I think that's been big for the team. Um, he's been a real, uh, really solid piece so far in this series. And um, I feel like he's been the unsung hero kind of role for the team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Definitely wouldn't be aware without him. So, going to need a big night from him again, similar to what we saw in game one and two. And I think, um, you know, him along with the other role players, guys like Pritchard stepping up, um, you know, Celtics can take this one. Yeah, uh, I just got a report. Uh, Robert Williams has a max of 24 minutes tonight, likely to be between 20 and 24. 24 would be the max. Um, it'd be a big piece, obviously, just having him back. Other 10 minutes would even be fine, just to get him a little bit warm. Um, before You don't want to push him too hard. You don't want it to be you know, where he tweaks it again, he's out longer. Uh, obviously, I, I'd, I'd like to take it easy on 10 minutes. I think we could use him. The points in the paint, we dominated last game, 44-34. Uh, rebounds were 36-36. Last year, we really struggled with rebounds against the Nets. Obviously, a very different team, but uh, obviously, like Horford, like you were saying, stepped up huge. We didn't have him last year, obviously. Um, Grant, I mean, blocks-wise, they had eight last game in the Nets, which is impressive that we had... 
10 more points in the paint, which I know we drove a ton, but we had 10 more points in the paint, but got blocked four more times, eight to four, which I know blocks on everything, but the, you know, it's momentum at the end of the day, but it's just impressive. The Celtics still outscored them in the paint, uh-huh. even though we were outblocked four times, but that's also because the yeah. Celtics drove it a lot more. You're going to have more blocks. You're going to have rebound, too, because the first half rebound in game one, Nets are dominating us in the boards. I don't know what these Italians were, but at one point, it was just a lot to a little, and they were getting a lot of second chance points, um, and I mean, you know, that's going to be huge. And I think Rob Williams coming back to it is going to be huge for that. Um, probably the, is the best re- uh, rebounder on our team. So, yeah, I mean, just I would agree. back tonight, uh, you know, being a better matchup, at least on the glass for uh, DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. Um, I mean, because he was kind of eaten up inside DeAndre Jordan in games one and two, especially game two of the first half. So I think that's going to be key. Um, and I got the Celtics tonight. So, All right, yeah, I'll go Nets by six tonight. I'll take the Celtics in game four. Uh, I think Kevin Durant will be on. I see him going for thirty-five, and I think I think it'll be tough to stop. Either, I can't. He can't have three bad games in a row. Point game. We'll see what happens. I don't know if it's going to be tonight or Monday night, but the Celtics are going to take one. Um, I think it's all you I want. Celtics three-one coming out of Brooklyn. I don't know which one, but yeah, I think you just want one game. That's, I think that's the Celtics' goal, obviously. So you just gotta um, play for both, but that's what you want at the end of the day. I want the them to play hard. One. And obviously, I think Robert Williams is the X factor. So I wouldn't be surprised tonight we were to win just because he brings an extra spark off the bench. Which I'm they could play him light. Yeah, I, ten minutes, I think. I think I, think I would play ten minutes. Usual, yeah, I'd rather him play like ten hard minutes spread out than twenty-four. It'll be like a four-four and two minutes uh, stint, probably four minutes in the first mm-hmm. quarter, maybe three minutes in the first quarter, two minutes in the second quarter, and then three and two again. That's probably what they're gonna. That's what I would yeah, do so if I was a coach. Into, yeah, I want to be careful with him. If we lose this game and say we come out of Brooklyn and go two-two, um, then I definitely want to come back and I mean, a little bit more, uh, get some more minutes, but. For now, I don't think he needs to come back for more than 15 minutes um, tonight, at least, just to you know, let him ease back into things and keep the team rolling. So. Yeah, and I think, I think if he has a max of 24, that means he probably is feeling at least good if, if, if they give it that high of a max. Yeah, That's half the game. Go, yeah. It's half the game, 24 That's minutes. That's what, 10, not even 10 less minutes than he would play. In Usually, yeah, he plays about 35. 30, yeah. yeah, probably around 35. So, yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, so he's going to play two quarters rather than three, but still good. Um, anyways... That's our Celtics talk. I'll be back in the rest of the episode to cover some other things. You know, probably some Clippers yeah, and Northeastern yeah, baseball. My segment. Um, got a big P. Freddy's ALS strikeout game at Fenway tonight. BC baseball versus Virginia Tech. So we do got to wrap things up. Yeah, I'll be back on a few minutes. Uh, I'll just start. I'll, I'll keep this running. So I'll pause right. it and then I'll, I'll keep it going with the same recording. But thank you guys for listening to our Celtics segment. I'll be yeah, back on a few. See you guys next week. And now to continue the rest of the episode, I have Paul from South Boston calling in. Uh, he's going to be a guest. He called in last week. Unfortunately, he didn't record. Could have him come in right now. Talk about some of the same things as we did last week, um, like Jerry York's retirement. Some things that didn't record last week I wanted to touch up on now, um, just since we had a great conversation last week. So here he is, Paul from Southie. How are we doing? Joe, we're doing well. How about yourself? Not bad. Thank you for calling in again. Uh, I had to do the Paul from Southie again because of Tommy G. Make him like one of those 98.5 calls that he always does. Yeah. But thanks for calling in, Dad. Anyways, uh, we can start off with the Red Sox. Um, obviously, the pitching we talked about last week, the starting pitching wasn't that bad being this season. It's really the bullpen, which has been an issue. The starting pitching hasn't been elite, but it's been good enough. Um, what do you think, though? You think the Red Sox, obviously Garrett Whitlock's pitching very well right now. Uh, he was 9-up, nine 9-down nine in the first three innings against the Rays. Um, what do you think? Do you think Garrett Whitlock should have a, a foundation, be a founding piece in the rotation, or do you think he should go back to the bullpen after today? It's a really good question because I, I, I think that'll be decided by whatever their greatest need is. I mean, it, it's amazing he can be successful as a starter, if that's the case, and as a closer. We 
we we both know how hard it is to get a great closer. But if it turns out that the starting pitcher needs a you know a solid you know middle of the rotation guy, you're probably better off to keep him in the rotation. But ideally, he'd probably be a better closer because um, we could use him almost every day. But it depends on what their greatest need is, in my opinion, Joe. Absolutely, no, I get that for sure. Um, and that's the thing with the Red Sox, though, right now is obviously bullpen. You need pitching to win games, and that's been a struggle for us right now as the later innings. Obviously, we haven't had you know great starts from Nate Evaldi. Nate Evaldi's been all right, but hasn't really been elite yet. Obviously, Chris Sale being hurt doesn't help. Um, losing him again for the third straight year, he missed opening day. Um, where do you think the Red Sox go from here? Do you think it's going to start with hitting? Do you think the pitching's got to get better? Obviously, Xander Bogarts has pitched well, uh, hit well this year, hitting three seventy seven. Uh, Rafael Devis has three home runs in the year. He's been hitting well, but guys like Kike Hernandez, JD Martinez, uh, they've both struggled early on. So, what do you think? You think the Red Sox hitting? You think that'll get going? Are you confident in those two guys, Kike and JD? Yeah, I, I think everybody goes through a slump now and then. I, I think JD probably starts off pretty slow. I know he's been kind of slow in uh, spring training. You know, sometimes it takes the weather to get a little warmer before the bats get hot. But mm-hmm. We all. But Kike did in the playoffs last year, which is an incredible. Uh, yeah, he did pressure. a lot. And uh, the same thing with JD Martinez. I mean, he's a he's a traditional three hundred hitter. So um, I think the bats are going to come around. And you know, I always think that pitching will will dictate how far we'll go. So um, you know, we get in sale back in June. I think Paxton the same time. Uh, yeah. But I'm Michael Walker so far. Michael Walker's been great. Great pickup by the Sox. I mean, he's. Uh, He's had two or three good outings. Yeah, he's been really good. Um, so speaking about the Red Sox, obviously, um, they've been, I think they're about 500 right now in the season, right? They're 7-6 and six now, just a game over. Yeah, I think this, yeah, that's right. 7-6. and six. Wanda Franco last night, two home runs. You know, I'm a big fan of him. What a hitter he is, huh? Uh, he looks like the next superstar. I, I, I can't believe he just turned 21 a couple months ago. Uh, he's certainly become uh, like the next Mike Trout in a way. I mean, yeah. the He's got power, he's got speed, he's got average. He's hitting probably close to 400. 386 right now. Two home yes. runs last night, obviously. Um, came up to the plate in the bottom of the ninth with the Rays down one run. Uh, bases juice, two outs. Matt Bonds came in, got the big out. I'm happy to see him uh, come out in a big situation. The Red Sox give him uh, some more confidence since obviously the beginning of the year he hasn't been pitching in any big situations. It's been fifth and sixth and seventh innings. No, that was a huge high leverage, obviously, situation. For, for Bonds to come in, I mean, I was on the edge of my seat. Um, Absolutely. So game on the line, and, and Bonds got it done with uh, good glove by uh, Trevor Story. Yeah, that was huge. We needed that. Beating the Rays last night, Friday night, to start the series, that was huge. And as I said, the Red Sox bullpen needs help, but with how great Garrett Whitlock's pitching today, um, his first six batters, he had five strikeouts and a pop-out. He was nine up, nine down. Um, obviously, if he keeps pitching this well, the Red Sox will use him in the rotation. That's just another... Part of the bullpen that we'll need to uh, find, we'll need to find someone in the bullpen to step up, and that could be Matt Bonds. He had a big out yesterday uh, to get that uh, third out in the ninth inning. So maybe Bonds will will resume being the closer, or at least we'll have more confidence in him to be, so that Whitlock can stay in the rotation. You think that's possible, right? I think it's very possible, especially uh, I, I think Cora's been very pleased with Robles. Yeah, Robles. Rob- yep. Uh, he's he's pitched very well. He's got gas. Uh, He's gotten some big outs in some key spots. And um, the other guy, Jake Diekman, I think his name is, the lefty. Yep. Yeah. He's he been in some high average spots as well. So, um, you know, if, if these guys come around and they show some consistency, I, 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 I think we're going to be fine and we should be there at the end. Definitely. 
Um, so obviously now the Red Sox have some COVID issues. Alex Cora had COVID. Um, Vasquez, Plawecki, Arauz had COVID in the last week or so. And now this Monday night they go to Toronto, uh, which obviously you can't play if you don't have the vaccine in Toronto. Um, so we won't have Hauk. Uh, because he isn't vaccinated. So maybe uh, Whitlock will have another chance to start later next week, maybe next Wednesday. Yeah, that's. I think that's the plan I heard because there might be some other guys that we don't know about that haven't been vaccinated that they won't let them play. Yep. Um, that could change the lineup considerably. Definitely. Um, obviously, uh, another piece of the Red Sox um, that needs to get better is the the leadoff hitter, which uh, Kike Finhouse fell, fell in the lineup to the fifth slash sixth spot. I think it's a good thing that he's not the leadoff hitter anymore. You can't have a guy batting 180 leading off. He was never a great leadoff hitter. He just got hot in the playoffs last year. It was a 240 hitter for the whole season in 2021. Doesn't warrant, you know, how great he was in the playoffs. Doesn't warrant him being an automatic out like he is right now. Like, we start every game with an out. You might as well start every game. Don't even let him get on the plane to start the game with an out is how I feel. Um, I think it's probably a good thing he's dropped in the lineup. I think the Sox, you know, needed to make a change there. And obviously, Trevor Story hasn't hit great. He's hit 220, but it's at least a little better than 180. No, I think Story's starting to pick it up a bit, but... um I think this happened to Kike already earlier in the year. I think Cora moved him down maybe a couple games after opening day, and he got like three hits the next day. So um, it, it, it's probably good for hitters to drop him down in the lineup sometimes. Definitely. Um, and now one more thing I want to talk about. So obviously you're, you're a big Xander Bogats guy. Uh, had a first weekend or two, uh, first series or two, he was struggling. Uh, now he's in 377 on the season. He's gotten hot. Speaking of hot hitters, though, uh, Jackie Bradley, over the last four or five games, has been very hot. He's hit 231 on the on the season, so obviously it's not great. But in that Blue Jays game, at one point he was two for two, and his average when I, when I went on Wednesday night was 276 on the season. Now, obviously, he struggled on Thursday. I think he went 0 of three, and then yesterday, I'm not sure. I don't think he had a hit in yesterday's game either. Now he's down to 231, but right now he's a better batting average than Trevor Story, Kike Hernandez, Bobby Dalbeck, and Christian Vasquez. Um, and I know you like Bradley's defense, so you think it's it, it's fine keeping him in the lineup even if he's hitting 230. I, yeah, he's a streaky hitter. I mean, we've seen him when he first came up. I mean, I think he had like a 25-game hitting streak at one time, and he's done it maybe. In 2017 he did, or 16, yeah, 2016, I believe. His career, he's had some lengthy hitting streaks, but I think our lineup is good enough to carry, you know, if he hits like 250, I, I, I'd take that every day of the week. Definitely. Um, so now moving on from the Red Sox, we'll talk a little bit about BC hockey. Um, obviously, Jerry York retired a week and a half ago. Um, I honestly, you know, we talked about it a ton last week. I talked a lot about how great of a guy he was. Honestly, he was a legend. Obviously, everyone knows how great of a hockey coach he is. But walking around BC's campus and being able to say hi to him was always a pleasure. Um, so obviously, he was a Hall of Fame head coach, 76 years old. Uh, the winningest coach in NCAA history, had the most wins, was at BC for 28 years, came in 1994 after winning the national championship of Bowling Green, uh, and then came here to BC. Obviously, he gave BC four national titles, uh, a lot of bean pots. He finished his career with uh, 1,123 wins, 41 NCAA tournament wins. Uh, how do you feel about Jerry York's retirement? Well, I was kind of surprised. I thought he was going to stick around for another year, even though the rumors had swirled during the year because of that maybe 10-game losing streak. Maybe it was time to him to hang him up. But um, what a career. I mean, on and off the ice, they, everyone said what a class guy and how successful he was. And I, I, I know he's had... Um, some great players that that, have, that he was able to recruit. Yeah. But um, 28 years has gone by too fast because uh, every, every year, you know, once he got established, you know, back at BC, I mean, he seemed like he had us in the, 
you know, the Frozen Four tournament, like almost a record number of times. So, 41 uh, wins. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to miss that excitement at the end of the season. Um, every year, waiting for the seedings to come out, and York always had us right there. Yeah, he was great. And obviously, I know you're a big BC hockey fan my whole life. You've always been a huge fan. So you've seen guys like Cam Atkinson, Alex Tuck, Johnny Gaudreau, Thatcher uh, Demko. BC's had so many legends, you know, so many great hockey players. Colin White, uh, Noah Hannafin, so many guys. Miles Wood, that's another one. So many guys went to BC uh, that, were, that were great players in the NHL. And that just is a testament to how great a recruiter Jerry York is. So obviously, losing him is a big loss. I know you did ask last week. Uh, who I think could replace him. I think it'll be someone within the system already, kind of like what Northeastern did with Jerry Keefe, uh, where Jerry Keefe was the assistant coach for years, and then once Madigan, Jim Madigan, got promoted to be the Northeastern Athletic Director, Keefe came in. So you see someone coming off, uh, someone in the BC family, BC hockey family, becoming the new head coach, all right? That was my initial reaction. But then I read during the week of his retirement that uh, Pat Kraft, the AD, was going to hire a committee to go nationwide and look for somebody and possibly, wow. you know, an established young guy like um, Carvel at UMass. Who yep. just won the Ch- Everyone Ch- wants him. And everybody wants the guy from Connecticut because they, they turn programs around yep. to like national contenders. Um, so originally, yeah, I agree. I thought it was going to be a low, you know, one of his staff maybe, but um, now I'm not so sure. So I, maybe they're going to go out and get the best guy that they can to, you know, get the program back to, um, you know, Frozen Four status. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. So with him retiring, um, I was I read this quote last week. I'll read it again. ESPN's Greg Wyshynski said, "I uh, this is Jerry uh, York's uh, quote. He said, I've been thinking about the possibility of retiring during the past several weeks. It just seemed to be the right time to do so. Obviously, his loss is huge. But like you said, maybe that committee will find someone like UConn's head coach. UConn had a great season. Uh, they beat Northeastern in the Hockey East Tournament. Pretty handedly, too, 4-1, to one, which was nuts. I was at that game, big loss. Um, Jerry Keefe, though, not Jerry Keefe, excuse me, Jerry York, five-time coach of the year in the Hockey East, uh, U.S. Hockey uh, Hall of Fame inductee in 2020, um, and ended his career, obviously, with 41 NCAA wins. So it's going to be hard to replace him. It's just about finding the right coach. You can't replace Jerry York. You just have to find someone that can come in and try to step in and try to create you know, half of the success he did because it's going to be really hard to get. He had four national championships at BC, correct? Yes, he started so. well off thousand one, and then he had the three and five years. And I, another guy I should mention is uh, Chris Kreider of the Rangers. I believe he scored his fifty first goal. Yep. Yeah. I mean, BC player. I mean, if you were a, a you know a good high school player, who would want to come to BC and play hockey? York had a very exciting, fast team that every time they took possession of the puck in like the neutral zone, it seemed to be like a fast break to the net. You know, mm-hmm. they would they. They were never that big or never really too physical, but they always could take the puck and create like a mismatch going forward, like on a fast break. And that's why I think he recruited a lot of the great talent. They they all wanted to come here. Yep, absolutely. And speaking of BC talent, I know you're the biggest Mark McLaughlin fan, captain of BC's hockey team for the last two years. He was a captain his junior year and senior year. Had three goals, has three goals right now for the Bruins in nine games. He's played great. What have you seen out of him right now uh, during his short time uh, with the Bruins so far? On the, in his first game when he scored his first goal, my phone lit up that night because everybody knows I'm a big Mark McLaughlin fan. Um, I was so happy and excited. But um, bigger than that is what Jack um, Jack Edwards, the B, uh, the Bruins announcer, said that he was very impressed with his work ethic 
and um, and and Bruins management, especially Cassidy, is very pleased with um, how hard he works and his skills. Um, you know, uh, he's he's shown he can keep up with you yep. know, the, the the NHL thus far, but um, the physicality. Very happy with how well he's done thus far. Definitely, he's shooting well, uh, playing physical too. He's a big guy. Um, he has you know he's good height. He's about six two, six three, right? Yeah, he might be yep. six four. They might have went six four, but he's a big kid, so obviously coming in, he's going to hit into the boards. But he's been playing really well, scored some big goals, three goals now, which is great. Three goals in nine games. That's a third of the games he's played and he scores in, which is great. And I know you're the biggest fan of him, uh, so hopefully he keeps staying hot. Hopefully he keeps getting shots. He's played nine games, so it's all just a one game stint. Uh, now he's been actually a, a big part of the rotation in the third line, fourth line. Yeah, yeah I hope he gets some valuable minutes. I think the playoffs are going to start like in a week or so. I think mm-hmm. the Bruins might. Game or two left, so um, I hope he's earned a spot, you know, to get some more playing time. And again, you said he scored three goals in nine games. That's that's really good for you know a young kid like a you know a rookie like him. Definitely, that's your favorite player. Just like for me, I love Sam Colangelo on Northeastern, and you know Jordan Harris and Ada McDonough, Gunnawagon Fontaine. You love Gunnawagon. Yes, I do. Yeah, I like Northeastern too. But Mark being the captain of BC. I know how hard he must have worked, again, on and off the ice to be a captain for York for two years says a lot about the character of the young man. Definitely. Uh, so now moving on from uh, the BC talk, BC hockey, moving to BC basketball really quick. Earl Grant first year, won two ACC tournament games, obviously lost a tough one at the end uh, to Miami uh, in the quarterfinals, but they were right there in it. They could have won that and then played Duke in the semifinals, which would have been nuts. Um, what did you see out Earl Grant in his first year? Uh, you, you have a positive outlook, correct? Amazing for a first-year coach to come into a program that struggled in the ACC for for years. I mean, you know how I felt about Jim Christian, another class guy and a real good coach, but it probably took him five years to win five games in the conference. I mean, he had the big upset at Duke a few years ago, but for Earl Grant to come in and win, I think, seven games in the ACC, even though the ACC was down for a big part of the year, but if, if you saw Carolina went all the way to the final. Yep. Oh, I was very impressed with Grant. Um, he got the most out of his talent, and I'm glad to hear that uh, Langford's coming back because there was talk he was going to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe a couple of good recruits, and this team could be right in the mix of, of the ACC next year. Yeah, uh, Makayash Langford will be returning for his uh, grad year, another year, one more year of eligibility. Obviously now losing... Uh, some guys to the portal, Johnny Thompson hit the portal, um, and Brevin Galloway also hit the portal uh, for one more year. I think he got another grad year as well. Um, but they got guys coming in like Jalen Hand, Prince of League Bay. Um, obviously, Jaden Zachary had a big year. Um, at point guards, we're having Zachary back with uh, Demar Langford, Makai Ashton Langford. Um, it's going to be a big season, I think. Hopefully, win 10 ACC games next year, and then who knows how many the year after that. I think they just got to keep building, which you would agree exactly. with. Exactly. Definitely. Got to keep building. That's important. Uh, moving now on from BC hockey, now to BC basketball, now to BC football really quick. BC football this coming season. Uh, this will be uh, Jeff Halfley's third season, correct? Second season. Third season. Third season. Um, excuse me. Third season. Uh, which is tough because time got away from us missing a whole year because uh, of COVID. Uh, I was thinking it was his second season because it would have been our second season seeing him in person from our season tickets. Um, but anyways, third season coming in. Jay, uh, Zay Flowers returning for his senior year, Phil Dracovic. Uh What are you looking to see out of them this year? Well, I guess they brought in a new offensive coordinator, the kid, the tight end coach from Notre Dame, McNulty. And he claims he's going to open the offense up more, which which means to me it's he's going to try to get Zay 
and playmakers like Zay the ball in the open field. Mm-hmm. So I expect, you know, even though their, their offense really never struggled, I mean, even with, with Grossell, I think they still move the ball well, but you figure a healthy Phil Jerkovic and um, they got the, they got a good tight end coming in to replace the, um, mm-hmm. the one that won the draft. Uh, we lost we lost uh, Trey Barry to the draft. Yeah, Trey Barry. Um, but Flowers and we got Mike Tomlin's son at wide up now to add yep. some depth. Dino, Dino uh, Tomlin. Dino, Dino Tomlin. Um, so I expect the offense to move the ball and maybe be a little bit more exciting, although we're very happy running the ball. The offensive line, of course, we're going to lose some studs. Probably a first rounder in Zion Johnson. Mike Mike Vrabel's son Tyler is going to go high in the draft as well. Um, but we know Trapillo from BC High is going to step in, and I think there's one. Oh, uh, Mahogany's returning. Yep. Offensive line. So I expect the offense to do well. Um, the defense. I can't remember who they lost at this point, but um, it's all about pressure to me. Um, so they're going to have to, you know, bring it with uh, Sheeta Salah started out really good last year till he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Those good quickness off the line. Um, but I think they got some guys in the secondary returning. So um, all in all, I, I expect them to, you know, hopefully go maybe 7-5, and 8-4 and four and, you know, maybe make a decent bowl game come New Year's Day. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Zay Flowers returning for a senior year. Phil Jacoby returning for a senior year. Uh, defensively, we did lose Brandon Sebastian. Um, he declared for the draft. We got Jason Major coming back and Elijah Jones. So a starting corner and a starting safety both coming back. That'll be huge to build around. Um, secondly, uh, we have uh, Marcus Valdez returning for another year, uh, which is great. Obviously lost Grossell, no longer your backup quarterback, but you have Emmett Warhead uh, coming in, which is huge. I know we're big fans of him. Uh, we saw him play a little bit in the spring practice we went to. Um, about a month ago now with Geo with the Gridiron Club. I went to a spring game, uh, which I covered a little bit last week. Uh, Jay McGillis' uh, spring game was two weeks ago now. Um, former BC defensive back who died from leukemia. Um, they have uh, a memorial game from every single year. It's a spring game. He died in 1992. Um, so I went to that. Uh, Fidra Kohik played well through a touchdown to running back Xavier Coleman, who had a great game. Zay didn't really play at all, except he caught a couple punts. Fair caught them. Um, and ate some fruit snacks on the sidelines, kind of like A.J. Dillon does with his Mott's applesauce. Um, Evan Moorhead left throwing the ball to Taji Johnson. Targeted him a ton. Obviously, second team wide out. Second team quarterback. We're good to see them get some reps. Um, and that team, Boston, which was led by Phil Jakovic, um, led by the first team. Uh, it was first team offense with the first team, uh, Second team defense it was uh, versus the first team defense and the second team offense, which was Team Eagles. Uh, so 22 to 10, Team Boston, who had the first team offense, second team defense, beat the Team Eagles, uh, which was the first team defense and the second team offense. So it was a good game to be at. I'm happy to see the boys get out there and get some work in. Obviously, like you said, we're losing Zion Johnson. Um, we will be losing Alec Winstrom, uh, Tyler Vrabel. Um, and Ben Petrula, four big offensive linemen. They've been starting out for two years at least together. So losing those four guys to the draft will be tough, but I'm sure, like you said, Ozzie Trapilla will step up. Mahogany will step up. Um, I'm sure there's some other recruits coming in. So I think we'll be, I think we'll be all set in the offensive line, don't you? Yeah, we, we seem to have a history of putting a lot of guys in the pros from the offensive line. I mean, a couple we met last year. Remember Gosda Cherilis and um, Zakowskis that went to BC. I played for the Cleveland Browns for a few years, so... Since I've been following BC football for about 40 years, they've, they've always had offensive linemen come out of that program and do very well. We even know the offensive line coach, Dave DiGiulio, who coached with Belichick at New England for a Super Bowl and Coughlin and the Giants in the Super Bowl. So I think the offensive line is going to be in good hands. 
Definitely. It was a pleasure talking to Coach D. He was a big fan of us and said, hey, stay in touch. Don't be strange to say hello when we see him. So I haven't seen him on campus yet. Hopefully I will. But he was with the Giants also in 2020. So had a little bit of time with Joe Judge um, in, in, in the staff. So it was cool being able to talk to him about Daniel Jones. Speaking of the Giants, uh, the draft is coming up Thursday. The Giants are the fifth and seventh pick. Uh, what are you looking for in the draft? I hope we go offensive line at five. Kamakwani, when that's seven, I want Sauce Gardner, lockdown corner from Cincinnati. What do you think the Giants got to do in the draft at five and seven? Well, the textbook uh, would tell you they should go one offense, one defense. I agree with you, Sauce Gardner, but I'm hearing he might be gone before pick five. Um, if, if that's the case, I have no problem with like one of those edge rushes. Uh, the kid, was it Thibodeau from Oregon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm maybe mix things about him. Uh, so I, I would take one of those off. Maybe Evan Neal, the offensive lineman. Yep, Alabama. Oh, I'm I'm thinking one offense, one defense. The Giants certainly have some holes to fill. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if if they try to strengthen, you know, two two weaknesses. You know, the offensive line has been a weakness for years, and every team could use an edge rusher or, or a good pass rusher. So um, that's what I'm expecting them to do. I don't expect any blockbuster trades. Um, although I'm reading now with the New York papers that after the draft, expect Bradbury to go. And now just recently you're hearing Kadarius Tony is showing up by not showing up to the camp this last week. Um, he's probably on the trading block. So it could lead to, um, you know, maybe another draft pick or some talent getting rid of him as well. Definitely. I think you get a second round pick from obviously a very good uh, player, very big playability, uh, can make people mix and match and juke everyone. But the issue is he doesn't stay in the field. He had an ankle injury last year, a quad injury, had COVID twice, uh, had a shoulder injury, a hand injury. He had a million injuries. I mean, I don't know if he had a hand injury, but realistically he did with the amount of injuries he had. He definitely had an ankle one, had a quad one, had COVID twice, and I think he even had uh, one other one. Like, remember, like in training camp last year, his shoe or whatever came off, and he was playing with one shoe, and his ankle or something, he might have, you know, messed up a little bit. I wouldn't be, mind trading him. Uh, he hasn't showed up to any of the voluntary off-campus, uh, not off-campus, excuse me, off-season workouts. Um, obviously, it's not the biggest deal in the world missing those since they're voluntary, voluntary but you have a new first-year head coach, uh, new offensive system, and obviously Daniel Jones needs more chemistry with the, the players that are around him since a lot of guys have been hurt over the last two or three years. They haven't given him much time uh, to really gel with any of the receivers since everyone's hurt, and when they do play, they're dropping balls. So I do think uh, he on his, is on his way out. I would not mind trading Kadarius Tony for second-round pick. He doesn't want to stay on the field, and he looks for ways to be hurt. He really does. He looks for ways to not be on the field. I do not mind trading him. I hope we do for a second-round pick. I think it's a quick a quick move, but um, I expect them to do. I, I agree. I think they're going to move him. I, I can see him developing into like Evan Ingram. I mean, all pro talent can make a Pro Bowl, but yet you remember mostly for dropping a couple of big balls and always being injured. Yep. We don't need guys like that. So I, I think you go back to the drawing board and try somebody new. Absolutely. So one more thing uh, about the Giants: fifth and seventh pick. We said we hope we go offensive uh, line. I would take Neil or Aquanu. And then at seven, I would love Sauce Gardner. If not, maybe another pass rusher. I know Kayvon Thibodeau. Kayvon Thibodeau, they say, has personality issues that the Giants do not like. So who knows if we would draft him. Um, Kadarius Jones, I'd love a second round pick for. One more thing, Daniel Jones. You're the biggest Daniel Jones fan. I'm the second biggest Daniel Jones fan. You made me a big fan of him. I have the most confidence in, in him out of any player on the Giants. Uh, what do you think about Daniel Jones? I know everyone critiques him. How do you feel about him? You know, I've been a big fan from day one. I, I know he struggled uh, with the turnovers, which is very common with the young quarterback. But we saw his uh, his numbers when he his rookie year. He probably finished in the top five of uh, 
Rookie of the Year voting because um, he was number two. He fell behind Kyler Murray, who had Kyler Murray had twenty two touchdowns, mind you, in sixteen games, sixteen starts. Daniel Jones had twenty four touchdowns in twelve games, four less games with two more touchdowns. But Kyler won Rookie of the Year, which is ridiculous. But I'm sorry to interrupt. Keep going. Right? No, I see a lot of talent in Daniel Jones. I mean, I. I'm impressed with his arm. He can throw the deep ball. He can throw the touch pass in the flat. You saw him run, was it last year? He ran like 90 yards, almost as fast as any running back in the NFL like that year. The fastest quarterback run, 22.8 miles an hour, 22.5 miles an hour. It's nuts. He's got the legs, and I think he's got the head. So, um, I mean, he cut down his turnovers. And and remember, Mara, the owner, said it best. He said, we've given this kid every reason to fail. Four different offensive coordinators. Um, in Third the last, head coach. Right? Three or four different head coaches. Um, receivers that are known for dropping balls. I mean, I love Darius Slayton, but he's dropped a couple of balls. Ingram, all pro talent, dropped a couple of big balls that games turned around. Especially that Philadelphia game on like a Monday or Thursday night. He catches that ball, we win the game. Yep. Um, so he's been plagued by that. And of course, I don't need to mention again, the offensive line woes. So... You give this kid an offensive line. He's got Saquon Barkley, who we both love as a great back. Guys that can hold the ball. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna explode with some major numbers, and I hope it's this year. And I often reference when we talk about Jones being a um, you know Patriot Nation. They drafted Jim Plunkett probably fifty years ago now out of Stanford, number one quarterback, and he was run out of town because they couldn't get over the hump and win. Win. But it was because he didn't have talent around him. So what do they do? They blockbuster trade him to the Raiders, and he wins two Super Bowls. I see the same thing happen to Jones if the Giants don't give him time, uh, hopefully this year with the weapon. So um, I believe in Daniel Jones, um, and he's always the first one at at, train, at you know, training camp. Yep. He's always practicing, the last one to leave. Habits of Tom Brady there. So let's give this kid another try. And I expect big numbers from him this year. Me too. And that's the thing. Fourth offensive coordinator, third head coach. Um, the worst offensive line in the league. The second worst rated one, I believe. But if you look at it, I don't think the Giants have a worse offensive line than the Texans or the Seahawks. I mean, they none of them have a good line. Don't get me wrong. But I think Giants have the worst line just based off of what I've seen of the other two. And then when I'm watching Giants games, Daniel Jones has zero time to throw. Um, factor in, the play calling has been awful. Um, you know, Jason Garrett struggled. Obviously got worse when Jason Garrett left. Freddie Kitchen struggled with it. Joe Judge, being a special teams head coach, did not do great um, with Daniel Jones. Um, obviously, Daniel Jones did a lot better with Pat Shermer's rookie year, threw 24 touchdowns with him. So I think now having an offensive-minded head coach and Brian Dable, I think Daniel Jones will have a big year. Obviously, me and you are huge fans of Daniel Jones. I don't think any quarterback, no matter who you have, put any of them in that giant system, none of them are going to succeed. No one would succeed in the giant system with the weapons always being hurt and when they're right. playing, they're dropping balls. And secondly, you look at you know what Daniel's had around him for the coaching. You know he's going now to his third head coach and fourth offense coordinator. Give Daniel Jones time. Give Saquon Barkley time. Give them some room to throw, room to run. This Giants team will be dangerous. I have the most confidence of both of those guys, and they're the most, the two most doubted guys on the Giants. Everyone is so down on both of them, and I know me and you have not uh, with it at all with our confidence. We are still up on both of them. We're huge. Uh-huh. We're huge fans. I'm glad they're on my team, and I love Dable coming in. I mean, he got to work with Josh Allen for a couple of years, and everybody loves Josh Allen now. He's an MVP candidate. Um, he took him to you know a play away from the Super Bowl, maybe. I mean, a Kansas City coming back with 14 seconds left. I mean, 
uh, he's a stud, Josh Allen, and you got to give Dayball a lot of credit, you know, for making him the player he is today. He can do the same thing with Daniel Jones. I, Definitely. I'm convinced, too. I'm a huge Daniel Jones guy, as you are. And everyone that is a Daniel Jones uh, hater, non-believer, people that love to criticize him because he was a sixth pick, which I'll say this once again, I know everyone talks about how bad of a GM Dave Gettleman was, which he failed in, in, in a lot of regards. But he drafted Daniel Jones at six, Saquon at two. And I, if I could go back and do both those drafts, I'm taking both those guys again. Except... I would actually build around them, giving them the offensive line so they could succeed. Because right now, people say how bad both of them are, but they just do not have the time or the room to succeed in this system. I love both of those draft picks. I think Dave Gettleman drilled both of those draft picks, and I know you do as well. I love both of those draft picks. He failed, though, in protecting them and giving them something around them to succeed. That, that's, that was the issue. He's tried. I mean, he did try. I mean, ultimately, his... They sold her. He tried. Failed. But, I mean, I mean he, he brought in a lot of different offensive linemen. We had that one guy come in last year that looked like a pretty good center, and he ended up retiring before training camp ended. Jonathan Harrison it was, yes. I mean, Andrew Thomas looks like a good pick. I mean, we... Yep, you know, he's we, great. Eric Flowers maybe was, you know, a top pick, and he didn't get it done. But, um, I mean, he brought in Solda, who came, you know, highly regarded from the Patriots. But you know, he tried, but he just he just hit and missed. Too many, too many swings and misses. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know me and you are the biggest Daniel Jones guys, and um, I would take Daniel Jones any day of the week. As you said, he's in every single meeting, every single practice. Um, that guy's been there now every single day in the offseason at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. working. There's nobody that wants to succeed more than him in the NFL. I don't care what anybody says. I'm the biggest Daniel Jones supporter as you are, and I can't wait to see him succeed this year because everyone that is criticizing him, every non-believer and hater, they better hope Daniel Jones and the Giants don't figure this out because everyone, Colin Coward, Stephen A. Smith, uh, oh, love- Max Kellerman, everyone on these uh, national broadcasts, uh, yeah. I, I can keep going, Dan Olofsky, Ryan Clark, who said last year, Daniel Jones, a guy we know who can't play the game of football, every single one of these people will be proven wrong this season by Daniel Jones, everyone, and I can't wait for it, I can't wait. But, uh, because, you know, if you start, I mean, I agree with you 100%, but Bill Parcell said it best, if you start listening to, to those people like fans that don't play the game, you end up sitting with them. Um, we know what Daniel Jones can do, and and I often reference this. Um, Cincinnati Bengals two years ago finished with two wins, and then two years later they're they're in the Super Bowl and lose by a field goal. So um, we're in a we're in a you know a decent division. We can go from bottom to top in one year, and I'm hoping this is the year. Definitely, and and factoring in the Bengals. Um, Last year, two, two years ago now, the 2020 season, uh, they had the first pick, obviously, took Joe Burrow. In the 2020 season, they had four wins and held the fifth pick, which they took Jamar Chase in the 2020, 2021 NFL Draft. This year, the Giants in the 2021 season had four wins, just like the Bengals in 2020, and have the fifth pick, just like the Bengals did in 2021. We're in the same position as they were with a really bad offensive line. Um, so, And they got things figured out very quickly. Obviously, their offensive line is not great at all, but they made it work enough with that offensive system, letting Burrow get the ball out quick. Hopefully, the Giants figure things out and get things going. Um, really quick, want to move on uh, to the Celtics. Obviously, they're up 2-0 against the Nets. What are your thoughts on the series so far? I was amazed with the 17-point comeback uh, the other night. I, I think we're the better team than Brooklyn, but um, one of your callers last week did make a good point about... Uh, if it's a close game, he was worried about Brooklyn maybe having you know better clutch players at the time. But um, we certainly uh, showed some metal coming back from 17. Um, 
I think this series is ours now. I think we split in, in Brooklyn, and we can probably win it in, in no, no more than six right now. Uh, the Celtics are playing with a lot of confidence. I don't know I don't know how they've bottled up Durant so well. And I, I don't think we're in Kyrie's head because he scored like 39 points and probably 18 in the fourth quarter in game one. But um, it was amazing to see us put a, you know, put a lasso around them in game two. They, what they get like uh, 65 first half points and then maybe less than 40 in the second half. They only had 10 I, points in the, in the fourth quarter, something nuts. But the defense, I mean, I see it most of the year. Marcus Smart obviously winning the award. I give Robert Williams a lot of credit for the year too, turning this team around for since January. We've probably had the, the best defensive team in the in the NBA. Um, I think the defense can carry us, but I love the fact that I wasn't a big Tatum fan, but he's passing the ball so much more now and, and making other guys show what they can do. So that's a sign of a superstar. You're making the players around you better. He sees the open man, whether it's Brown, whether it's Smart, whether it's Pritchett, whether it's Tice, and everyone's shooting a little better. So um, I expect the Celts to wrap it up in six. Yeah, I mean, they've been looking great. And I was talking to a Bills fan last night about you really know you're a superstar when you're elevating the guys around you. So Josh Allen took Stephon Diggs, who was a good wide receiver, and made him an elite wide receiver. He took a non, you know, an unknown tight end last year in Dawson Knox, who was never good in his first two or three years, two years, and made him a superstar tight end, you know, at one point. I know he's not a superstar tight end, you know, overall, but he had a really good year. He's an elite tight end, I would say, not a superstar. Um, and then also took um, Gabriel Davis, uh, a wide receiver four that no one really knew about and threw him uh, three or four touchdowns in that Kansas City Chiefs playoffs game. So just like you said, you have to elevate the guys around you to be a superstar. And that's a sign of being a superstar is elevating guys and making them better players because of how good you are, like LeBron James has always done. You know? And that's, that's when you know. And the Celtics right now are up 30-25 to 25 after the first quarter. Robert Williams um, has logged in four minutes in the first quarter, which is great. Um, hasn't scored, actually hasn't logged a rebound or anything yeah, so far. Uh, but the Celtics have been led by Tatum. He's at 12 points so far through one, um, through a quarter and two minutes. Um, and Bruce Brown has 10 minutes for the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie has eight points on three of seven shooting. And Kevin Durant's got five points on two of two shooting. So Celtics looking good so far. You see the Celtics winning at six, huh? I do. I figure they split in Brooklyn, uh, but I, I don't expect them to win tonight, you know, game three, because if, if Brooklyn goes down 3-0, they might just tank it for game four. But um, I'm, I'm just impressed, and I, I said that, and I'll say it one more time, that Tatum's made other people around him better, and that's a sign of a superstar. Um, I don't expect Robert Williams to play that much tonight, uh, but when he's in the game, he certainly controls controls the paint. I mean, that, that guy blocked more shots. He seemed to have an alley-oop during the season like every game he had a couple so I mean the offense was gelling I give the coach Ime a lot of credit because um, you know for some reason Stevens couldn't get it done and it's basically the same cast although Robert Williams is a much better player now than he was you know a year or two ago yeah Peyton Pritchett's come off the bench Grant Williams seems to be a better player I mean he's shooting better from the he has one of the highest percentages from three point land um, like Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard's got the highest in the NBA, you know, me and the Clippers. Right, uh, exactly. So, I, I mean, uh, I figure a split in Brooklyn and we, and we wrap it up in six. Um, and we got good news, not that we never want anyone to get hurt, but having Middleton out, Chris Middleton for the Bucks, that's certainly going to help the Celtics if they, they get by the Nets and, and the Bucks take down the Bulls. Yep. No Middleton is huge. It's like having no Jalen Brown for us. Yeah, you know? Middleton's great. Middleton's great. Um, so hopefully we'll see how things work out there. Obviously things didn't work out with me and the Clippers this year, but 
What What do you think about the Clippers? What do I always say? Dangerous. They're dogs, man. They They seem to battle every possession. I mean, if if Paul George plays that that last uh, playing game, there's no question they would have won. Definitely. Oh, they're they're dogs. They would even beat the Suns now. Now with Devin Book being hurt, um, they definitely would have beaten the Suns. I think honestly, in six games. Yeah, I guess he's got a hamstring well, injury. But it, that team, I mean, they, they must have had more comebacks down like 20-plus points than anybody I can remember. Yep. They battle every possession. They never quit in a game. And they seem to come back uh, every time they're down. Yeah, and that's the thing. They actually had 13 wins, comeback wins, when trailing by, I think, 12 or more points, which is nuts. And they had two comeback wins, one by down, one down by 30 and one by down by 35 at one point in the season. They won both of those games. They finished the season, regular season, 42-40 and 40, um, without, with only 20 games or so of Paul George, no games of Kawhi Leonard, only like five games of Norman Powell. It's just a testament to how good their role players are. They have the best depth in the NBA. Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, you know I'm a big fan of, Reggie Jackson, BC guy. Um, uh, Isaiah Hottenstein, Amir Coffey, um, Nick Nick Batum. Uh, they're just all dogs, that whole team. The whole team's all dogs. I've never seen a team, like you said, Tyron Lue gets every one of those guys going. I've never seen a team hustle as much as that team did in the last year or two. And I'm really excited to see how good they are next year, which Sam Presti, very good Oklahoma City GM, Oklahoma City Thunder GM, he said, he's a very smart GM, you know, they have like 20 draft picks in the next four years. He said... Uh, the on paper and you know in, in general, he said the LA Clippers have the best uh, roster in the NBA when healthy. He said, "I see them winning a championship, and I see them winning multiple." No, I, I agree. I, I was very impressed. You know, I watched a lot of their games this year. I give Lou a lot of credit. I mean, no, no Kawhi for the whole year, no George for, for as much as he was out. Very impressive. Definitely, and I'm excited to see what they do in the future. Um, Really quickly, BC Baseball in the uh, ALS game um, at Fenway right now. It's trailing 4-1 to one right now to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, another good ACC baseball school. There's a ton in the ACC that are really good. Obviously, you went to the Northeastern BC game. You went to two of them. You went to the Beanpot game, which BC ended up winning the Beanpot against UMass Amherst a couple weeks ago now. Um, what did you see out of BC Baseball when you went? You liked the way they played on defense, which I know they've struggled in a lot of games. Yet when they played Northeastern, they were elite on defense and pitching. No, I was very impressed. You know, I love pitching. It's one of my favorite topics in sports. Um, I was shocked at how many guys they brought in that, that can throw gas in mid-90s. I, I, they have a lot of arms. Definitely. Definitely. And speaking of uh, pitching, the Red Sox right now have been no hit through eight innings against Tampa Bay at 0-0. Whitlock, as he started for the Red Sox, went four innings, one hit. Seven strikeouts was elite. It's a 0-0 game. The Red Sox have been no hit through eight innings. they got to get something going there, as does BC Baseball. They're down 4-1 right now in the top of the eighth. Um, guy on second for Virginia Tech, so over they get the out. They'll be down three runs with six at-bats left to go. Um, hopefully BC Baseball can get going. Travis Honeyman's had a great game. He's 2-4. Um, and in the first inning, BC was hot. They had an RBI right away. Uh, Parker Landwehr had a single uh, to left center, scored uh Travis Honeyman in the first inning, but now BC Baseball's been struggling. They gave up three runs um, in, what, in two runs in the sixth inning, excuse me, and then one run in the seventh. So three runs in the last two innings they've given up. Uh, they did get out of the eighth inning, though. So four to one going into the bottom of the eighth. Hopefully they pull out a win. The Red Sox as well going into the eighth inning. It's a zero-zero game, but they have no hits. So you need hits to win a game, don't you? And, and, and the Red Sox have been struggling in the plate as, uh, as of late in this game. Okay. All right. Listen, um, I want to wish you the best of luck with the rest of the show. I got to. I want to go in and catch that. Uh, well, the Celtics. <laughs> catch the Celts. Up, 
Catch the Red Sox, too. I will, Joe. All right, have a good one. Thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate it. Uh, good luck with the rest of the show. We'll, we'll talk again soon. Thank you so time. much. Always a pleasure. Have a good one. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Great having my dad call into the show. Um, as I said last week, he's the reason I have my passion for sports. Me and him talk about all the time about pitching being the best job in America, being a starting pitcher. You go once every five days, you can make $30, $40 million. Um, And he's the reason I love baseball, the reason I love pitching. So thank you, Dad, for giving me the passion uh, that I have for sports. Um, without you, I wouldn't you know, be as big of a sports fanatic as I am. So thank you for that. Um, speaking of... Uh, Baseball, we were talking about the Red Sox. Obviously, they've been struggling through eight innings now, 0-0 game. Um, hopefully, they can get a run in as BC Baseball was struggling as well, down 4-1 to in the bottom of the eighth. Hopefully, they can get something going. they got Luke Gold coming up, protect, projected right now, uh, first-round pick in the draft, MLB draft this coming year. Um, he's coming up to the plate. He's over 2 in the day, but he's hit 340 on the season. He's been great. Um, Joe Vitrano's been great. He's up next after him in the pocket. Landwehr, three guys hitting over 300. Uh, Vitrano with 336, and then Landwehr at 312. Virginia Tech, a very good team. Um, Gavin Cross has had a great game. He's 2 of 4 right now. Lefty, he's hitting 359. Their lineup is nuts on Virginia Tech. 349, 359, 371, 421, 364, 325, 333, and 281. That's their starting lineup. Nine guys all hitting over 281, which is nuts. They have eight guys in 300 plus, and then one guy at 281, Christian Mott, in their second uh, baseman, batting ninth. That's actually nuts how good they are at hitting, and that's the ACC for you in baseball. I mean, just been elite all year. Uh, offensively and overall, which obviously BC's been struggling now, uh, falling to 15 and 23 on the season. Uh, but being in the ACC, it's not easy at all, especially when you're playing the best schools every single game. You know, it's not easy to be in the ACC and try to compete and win, you know, half the games. You win, you know, half of your ACC games, you're elite just because of how good you are and how good the teams are around you that you're playing against. Speaking of college baseball, Northeastern baseball, um, hasn't had a home game in a couple weeks. Uh, this following, this coming Tuesday, they'll play UConn at three. Uh, will be a big game. I'll definitely be there. UConn's been great all year. The thirty and seven on the year, I believe, um, a top fifteen team in the country. Coming to Brookline to play Northeastern. Northeastern struggled yesterday against High Point. Um, they traveled down to North Carolina for an out-of-conference um, weekend series. Uh, Mike Sirota, who I've talked about all year, start off the game, second pitch of the game, moonshot, home run to left field, or center field, his fourth home run of the year. He's hitting three thirty. He's only a freshman, was drafted 16th round by the Dodgers. I've talked about him a ton. Uh, he's had a great season. Look forward to seeing him play again uh, this coming Tuesday. Uh, Corey DiLoretto's been out of the lineup now for about a week or two now. Um, looked like a wrist injury. Um, I was at the Harvard game, the Harvard Consolation Beanpot game, which Northeastern won 10-6. to was a big win. Um, Luke Beck, uh, Beckstein had a huge home run in that. Um, but it looked like DiLoretto had his wrist taped. Um, in that game, he must have had an injury in that Sunday game against Elon on April 10th, which he had a uh, highlight rail catch. It was a sports center catch. It was nuts how great of a player it was. He's a great defender and a great hitter. Northeastern misses him in the lineup. With him now being out of the lineup, they've only won two games and lost four. So they're 2-4 without him in the lineup. Uh, his father and I talk every single game. Uh, Rob DiLorado is head coach of the Everett football, um, uh, uh, football team. Great head coach. Uh, knows so much about the game of football, knows so much about sports in general. Always a pleasure talking um, with him. Hopefully, uh, Corey's back soon. Uh, Northeastern Baseball definitely misses him, and I miss seeing him play. Him and Sirota are my two favorite players on the team, so being able to go to games, see both of them play, has been a pleasure all year. Um, Hopefully, I can get him on the show at some point to talk Everett football since they've had, I think he's had nine 
I think he had nine college commits last year on his team. Uh, now coming into the season, um, he says they're still loaded with talent. They have a couple guys that committed to BC, which is really cool. Um, so it would be cool to see him uh, come on the show and talk. Hopefully his son's back in the lineup soon. Um, hopefully Tuesday. I'd love to see him play again. Uh, Northeastern baseball, as I said, Mike Sword had a huge home run yesterday. And today's game against High Point, which yesterday was a struggle. They lost 10-4. to It was tough. Obviously, Sirota got them going in the first inning. Uh, but they couldn't get too much going after that. Today, um, Northeastern's up 11-1 to right now in the top of the ninth with two outs. Probably going to close the game out um, in the bottom of the ninth that I imagine hopefully win the game. Uh, 11-1 should be great. Northeastern needed this. Uh, Spencer Smith, 3-4. of uh, He's been so hot of late. I mean, that Harvard game, he had two big hits. Um, Max Vieira, only at 220 on the year, but he's 2 of 5 today, and it's been very hot over the last eight games or so. And then Luke Beckstein is, is 2 of 5. Um, so it's great to see those guys getting going. Um, Ed Jarvis, Mark Walsh's friend, pinch hitting actually currently up at the plate, uh, which is really cool. Uh, it's great to see him. Uh, I think he's pinch hitting. It says here in the live stats. Uh, it'd be great. I know Mark Walsh. Shout out Mark Walsh, a legend. He's a big fan of him. Um, so hopefully uh, Jarvis gets a big hit. It'd be great for him to talk to him in class about it. Uh, so Northeastern will play Tuesday against UConn. I'll definitely cover that game uh, on Wednesday, which is Wednesday. is going to be a big thing, a big night. We're going to be talking about the Celtics since game four is on Monday. Obviously game three today is on Saturday. Um, and then the NFL draft will be on, fr- on Thursday, which I'm going to give my updated mock draft in a second. Um, which I'll do another one on uh, Wednesday as well. Um, one thing I wanted to say, though, uh, was about the Red Sox, was that I went on Wednesday night, uh, me, Cap Curley, uh, Jacob Curley, my boy, shout out Cap, uh, the legend Mark Walsh, Joey Hosey, stud pitcher on St. Mike's, um, and his teammate Ozzy, another stud pitcher. Uh, we all went to the uh, Red Sox-Blue Jays game, tough loss for the Red Sox. Got to see Ramel Tapia had a big home run. I was actually highlighting him to Mark Walsh before the, the play, before his at-bat in the first inning or second inning. Uh, Pavetta gave him a bad you know, bad location, and, and, and uh, Tapia took it 440 to right field. It was a moonshot. I said to Mark Walsh, oh, this guy's an absolute stud. They just got him from the Rockies, and... Lo and behold, you know, five seconds later, he has a moonshot home run. I didn't get on video, unfortunately, but it would have been nice. We tried to meet the Blue Jays after the game. Fortunately, they went straight to the bus with all their hoods on and AirPods in and just acted like they didn't see anyone, which was tough. But it was cool being at the game with those guys. Um, hopefully catch another Red Sox game with them soon. Moving on, NFL draft. I'll give a quick update to my mock draft. Uh, number one overall, Jacksonville Jaguars. I have them taking Aiden Hutchinson still, edge rusher out of Michigan. Dynamic pass rusher like Kayvon Thibodeau, 14 sacks in 13 games this past season. He only had one tackle um, for a loss in the Georgia um, college football semifinal game. Tough loss in Michigan that game. He didn't really show up and play too well. Uh, but he did have three sacks against Ohio State in their second-to-last regular season game, I think it was, or their last regular season game. Um, it was, yeah. I think it was their last game of the year. He's a beast. He's great. A great pass rusher. Kind of reminds me of a Joey Boza. Um, I think he's going to go first overall. I didn't change that pick. Um, Detroit Lions, I did have originally Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon going last week, uh, second overall to them. Updated now, I have Derek Stingley, cornerback out of LSU, going there. I've seen a lot of buzz of him moving up in draft boards, um, which if after the 2019 season, he's only a freshman, but he had six INTs in 2019 that year. LSU won, was a prolific cornerback, unreal. Um, and if he could have left after his freshman year, he would have been a top five pick. Um, so it makes sense. He's moving up draft boards right now. Didn't have too great of a year. Didn't have any interceptions this last year or in 2021. Um, but he has, or 2020, excuse me. But he has the talent, though, to be a top five pick. So I would not be surprised with him going number two. Number three, I have Evan Nail still going to the uh, Houston Texans. Offensive tackle out of Alabama. 
Very sound offensive lineman. Started uh, at Bama uh, at guard originally and then moved his way all the way to left tackle. Um, started three years at Bama on the offensive line. 13 games at left guard, left guard in 2019. 12 games at right tackle in 2020. And 15 games at left tackle in their college football championship win uh, season in 2021. Uh, great offensive lineman. Uh, I think he goes number three overall to the Texans. Number four, I have the New York Jets saying Kayvon Thibodeau, edge rusher out of Oregon. Originally, in my last week's mock, I had Trayvon Walker, edge rusher from Georgia, going here. Uh, with Thibodeau, he has personality issues, I'm hearing, uh, but is a freak and an athlete, absolute wagon. Um, he started, uh, I think he... He had seven sacks in ten games this year. I know he finished. He started and played most of the the, the season, and then the last game, I think he sat out of the bowl game. But in the games he played, that was really good. Seven sacks in ten games. I'm sure he wanted more, but still a great edge rusher and the talent and how good of an athlete and you know how big he is. I think he's warranted a top five pick. I, I know he has personality issues, but Jalen Ramsey was a top five pick, and everyone talked about his personality issues and ended up being one of the best cornerbacks in the league within his first year or two. So. I think Thibodeau can be right up there. I see him going in the top five. Number five overall, I have a change this pick. I got a Kamakwanu, offensive tackle out of NC State, becoming the New York Giants. Right tackle, something we've needed for years now. Um, my best offensive tackle in the draft, in my opinion, 6'4", 320. He's a mauler in his highlights. Um, he started the final seven games of his freshman season um, in 2019 at left tackle. Um, was the first true freshman in NC State um, history um, to start a tackle since 2010. Excuse me, not in history, but since 2010 was their first true freshman to start a tackle since 2010, which is really impressive. Um, he started 12 games in 2020, um, and then 12 games also in 2021 at, ta- at the tackle spot again. Um, I see the Giants taking him at five and giving Daniel Jones more protection. The protection he and Saquon Barkley both need, which me and my dad were just discussing earlier in the episode. Number six overall, I have Trayvon Walker, edge rusher from Georgia, going to the Carolina Panthers. Um, originally, I had Charles Cross, offensive tackle from Mississippi State, going number six to the Panthers. Um, I do think Walker, I see him as overrated just because of how good of a combine he had. Um, he's 6'5", 275, absolute freak athlete of the combine. He's a combine warrior. Um, but I just think... Guys that were running and playing in shorts, I don't think you can really say, you know, this guy's warranted just a top five pick, top ten pick, just because of how good he was moving at the combine. I don't really, I like the combine, but I would never say a guy that only had uh, six sacks in 13 games this last year at Georgia should be a top ten pick just because he's an absolute house. You know, I, I don't know. I think he, he probably can be a good pass rusher in the NFL. I don't think he's going to be elite. Um, I do have him going there to Carolina. Um, he did rank in the top um, at his position in the D lineman um, in the broad jump, 40 yard dash, vertical leap, and the three cone drill. Um, he ran an official time of 4.51, 40 yard dash, which was the third fastest of his position. Um, so obviously he had a great combine, but I don't think he should be going uh, top six, in my opinion. But I am going six right now to Carolina just because of all the hype, and I, I've been reading that a lot of scouts love him. Number seven, I did not change this pick. Sauce Gardner, cornerback out of Cincinnati, going to the New York Giants. Um, 6'3", got the name at six years old, the nickname Sauce. Ahmad Gardner is his real name, but Sauce is his nickname. Um, he only allowed 13 catches for 117 yards in the 2020 season, 2021 season, excuse me, um, which featured you know Cincinnati going to the college football playoff semifinal game. Obviously, they had a tough game against Alabama. But he was a big reason that defense excelled and, and they made it to that game. Um, he didn't surrender a touchdown in 33 career games. He's a lockdown corner and only allowed one catch for negative two yards against Jamison Williams in the college football semifinal game. So, very good player. I'd love to see the Giants get him 6-3. I think he's going to be a top five, top ten corner in the league within his, after his first year. 
and it would be great to have him and Xavier McKinney in the same secondary. I would love that. And Adoree Jackson, I'm a big fan of. So it'd be great to see that. Donnie Holmes as well, Julian Love. Um, would love to see him in the Giants. Number eight, uh, the Atlanta Falcons saying Kyle, Kyle Hamilton, safety out of Notre Dame. Um, originally, I had Malik Willis, quarterback out of Liberty, going here. Uh, but I think Antonio Hamilton, uh, excuse me, not Antonio Hamilton, old Giants uh, special teamer. Kyle Hamilton, excuse me, uh, very versatile and quick safety, makes plays, great pursuit, and runs hard to the ball. I see him going eight to the Falcons. I know he's been dropping out of some mock drafts, but talent-wise, I think he's uh, worth a top 10 pick. And I know Atlanta, the defense has been an issue now for years. Um, their offense was always good with Matt Ryan. They just could never really get a defense uh, that could that could stop a team in the fourth quarter to win some big games. We saw in that meltdown in that Super Bowl against the Patriots where they were up 28-3 and then the defense just went, went to sleep. I think getting a safety in Hamilton will be big for them, um, especially with you know them being a rebuilding team, getting a ball hawk who can make plays, very versatile, quick. Um, I think he'd be a great addition. Ninth overall, I got the Seattle Seahawks taking Malik Willis, quarterback out of Liberty. Um, I originally had Derek Stingley going here in my mock last week. Um, Malik Willis, I think he's a very good quarterback. I think he's a good quarterback, uh, but I would not take any quarterback in the top ten in this year in this year's draft. I don't think any of them are worth it. Pickett, uh, Malik Willis, um, Sam Howell. Uh, Matt Corral. I don't see any of them being worth a top 10 pick, um, but I think if Malik Willis, if I had to pick a top quarterback in this year's draft, Malik Willis would be my pick. I think he will be the best one. And Seattle is a rebuilding team with everyone knowing them trading Russell Wilson. They're in a rebuild. So I think making Malik Willis be their pick at nine will be a good way for them to start developing their future, especially giving a young quarterback a chance to develop and get some experience, especially in a system that has good weapons, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson, DK Metcalf. He'll have some weapons to throw to Noah Fant, who they just got in that trade for Russell Wilson from the Broncos. Uh, I think he could fit well in that system, especially since they've had a mobile quarterback in Russell Wilson for years, and Malik Willis is an absolute cannon of an arm. throw 70, 75 yards in a blink. So I think it'd be a good draft pick for them. Uh, number 10 overall, I have the New York Jets and Garrett Wilson, wide receiver out of Ohio State. Originally, I had Kyle Hamilton, the safety for Notre Dame going here. Uh, Garrett Wilson, very versatile and fast. Um, 4-3-8, 40-yard dash of the combine. Um, they definitely need another weapon. They drafted well uh, with the offensive line in the last two drafts. Mekhi Becton in 2020, they took in the first round. And then last year in the 2021 NFL draft, the Jets took Elijah Vera Tucker. So they got a starting left tackle and a start, starting right guard. And then in this draft, I have them taking Kayvon Thibodeau, so a great edge rusher. And so right now, they definitely could use probably another right tackle. But I think if they took another weapon, giving Zach Wilson another weapon to throw to, uh, especially with them losing James and Crowder, they could use another speed guy, another guy to make a big play. Garrett Wilson would be a great contribution uh, to that offense. I think he'd definitely fit in well, especially with how good you know the weapons are. They have a lot of young weapons. Elijah Moore, very good season. Um, so hopefully Michael Carter had a very good rookie season. Uh, definitely the, they could use another weapon for Zach Wilson. Um, no team is ever going to want to be shy of weapons. You can never have too much talent on a team. As I was talking with Jim Madigan about Northeastern's AD and former head coach in hockey, uh, I was talking to him you know, three weeks ago now at the Northeastern BC Beanpot Baseball game. We were talking about you can never have too much talent on a team, which is seen with you know both the Jackson twins, Ty Jackson, Dylan Jackson on Northeastern, both transferring to Arizona State, and TJ Semdenfeld to the backup goalie with Devin Levi returning to Northeastern. Semdenfeld to transfer to Arizona State. I think he's going to be a top-five goalie in college hockey. That's a big pickup. That's the issue. Sometimes you can have too much talent. It's never an issue as a coach, but as a player, sometimes you want more playing time, um, and that's the reason Northeastern's losing some guys. Um, but in the NFL, you can never have too much talent at the wide receiver position. So I have the Jets taking Garrett Wilson at 10, uh, which would be a great uh, pickup for them. 
Now moving on really quick, still weighing in softball, which I covered very briefly in last week's episode. Obviously, it didn't save, um, but I would love to cover it now. Uh, I was telling some of the guys on the team in the last week or so uh, that I have a show. Uh, Mully just emailed yesterday in the email group chat saying uh, that he has COVID. So, Mully, I hope you're doing well. Um, hopefully you're recovering. Hopefully you're back on the field soon. We definitely could use you out there. He said he's been listening and catching up on the playbook with Joey and Zach in his time in quarantine, which is great. So hopefully uh, when I send this to the group chat, you can listen in, and hopefully it can make your day better. I know you have COVID, so hopefully you get better soon. We need you out there on the field. Um, it's always a pleasure playing with you. Anyways, uh, huge win for Selway at softball on Thursday night over local four. 15-6 win. Um, the bets really got going, and the defense in the later of the last three innings of the game, the latter part of the game, was elite. We were elite on defense in the last three innings. Every one of the team was making uh, the plays that were hit at them, and that's what we really needed. In the later innings in the last year or so, which we won in 2020 season, but in the 2021 season, we'd get to the fifth, sixth, seventh innings, maybe even the fourth inning mid, mid, you know, mid part of the game, and that's where we'd kind of you know have some tough areas, some not great areas, and then they end up being costly and runs start scoring. But in the last three innings against Local 4, we were elite on defense. Um, we had a 10-run sixth inning offensively. Harry Braga, leadoff hitter, absolute stud, started off the inning with a walk. Sean McKenna as well um, followed it up. He's our number two hitter. Um, another walk he had, um, which uh, it's a pleasure going every game with them. Uh, I meet up with Harry Braga, Sean McKenna, Dave McKenna for the games, all three of them playing the outfield together. Um, I meet up with them. We drive to the games. I was telling them last week that I have a radio show, so It'll be great to send this to them, and, and I'm happy I'm able to talk about them live on air now and throw it on Spotify so they can hear me talking about the team. This will be my weekly Stellweg and softball uh, 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 stint. Not stint, excuse me. My weekly uh, Stellweg and softball segment, which will be great you know, for them to hear. I'm sure they'll be excited to hear me talk about them. So 10 run, six, tenth inning, uh, sixth inning, excuse me. Um, Harry Braga let it off. Sean McKenna, both of them had huge walks. Runners on first and second, nobody out. Down 6-5. And who else other than uh, Chris Mad Dog McKenna coming up to the plate, our coach, our captain, coming up and smoking a ball um, into right field for a huge two-run triple. Um, really got us going, gave us a 7-6 lead. Um, and just things started going way uphill after that. We just really started uh, uh, really grinding outs and, and Excuse me, not grinding outs. We weren't getting anyone out. We were grinding hits, avoiding outs, making plays, getting guys on base, and that's what softball's all about. We played as a team, um, and that's the way you have to win. That's the way you have to play to win games. Uh, Pat followed it up with an RBI double, scored uh, Mad Dog in. Um, I got up to play it after Pat, had an RBI single, scored Pat from second base. Um, then the ace, who I'm going to show a little bit later on in the episode, probably in a few minutes, I'll give his post-game press conference. The ace, Kyle Camp, um, reached base on an error. The Danger Camp connection, which um, I'll talk a little bit about later on in the episode. The Danger Camp connection is officially back. Uh, Danny Danger, a catcher, and Kyle Camp on the mound. They've been great together in the two games I've played with them. Uh, Dave McKenna got up after that. Single to keep the inning going. Um, Then Danny Danger got up with another huge single um, to score a couple more runs. Our third baseman, Matt. Singled yet again, another run, um, another batted in run. He was two of three on the night. Also uh, uh, drew two walks, which was great. He was on base four times. Um, And, of course, as you all expect, how big of an inning um, we had. Steve Abrams gets up to play our second baseman. um, Singled uh, in yet another run. He had a great game defensively. Uh, We almost turned two. We were inches away, uh, which I think next game, Tuesday night, will be the night we turn it. Um, And then, lo and behold, uh, our leadoff stud hitter once again, Harry Braga, the absolute weapon, got up to the plate again, 
reach base on, I think, another single. Um, so we had a ton of singles in this inning. And then Sean McKenna got on base yet again uh, before Mad Dog, sing- Mad Dog, Chris Mad Dog McKenna singled in another run uh, for our 10th run of the inning. We scored 10 runs in the 6th. Absolutely huge. We needed it. Uh, the boys really got going. We're 2-2 two and two now in the season. Um, we had the crispest 6th and 7th inning I think we've ever had. We've never had that crisp of a offense and defensive uh, combined effort uh, in a two-inning w- window in my you know four or five years of playing. So I'm very proud with how much this team has grown. Um, and now I'm going to play um, a clip of the post-game press conference with our, with our ace, Kyle Camp. Um, here is Quincy Men's softball's uh, favorite right now for Cy Young and Stellwagen's ace, Kyle Camp, talking his post-game press conference. He played great. He finished the game with four strikeouts, which is elite. That's why he's a Cy Young. He strikes out two or three guys every night. Um, and only one walk. Four strikeouts, one walk. He's been stellar on the mound all season. Here he is breaking down how the game went, how it felt to give this team a huge win to get us back to 500 on the season. Here we are with the ace, still wagging softball, coming off four, four strikeouts, four was it? Yeah, I think so. Four man. strikeouts, so. one walk. How'd it feel to do out there? It felt great. It felt great, you know? It, it feels like all the hard work that I've done throughout the uh, the off season and then the program that the coach put in, um, I think it's really paying off and... Uh, the sky's the limit with this team. You know, Absolutely. 2022 is going to be our year. Absolutely. What were you doing in the offseason? You said you were pitching in your backyard, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was pitching in the backyard, doing the, doing the toss, having my dog bring back the, the, the ball. Oh, there you go. And then I was doing this little rice thing where I was putting my hand into the rice and putting it back and forth, back and forth, trying to get that strength up. Um, besides that, though, it's just uh, a heavy, uh, a heavy uh, steady of Coors Lights. And uh, fried chicken. There you go. There you go. It works. It yeah. works, right? Don't change anything now. How does it feel to be the ace, though, of, of Stellwagen and softball? Yeah, you know, the, the, way, the way I the see it one. is, like, who else is going to do it, you know? Somebody had to, step, be. Somebody had to step up, and it, uh, it ended up being camp, you know? That's it. And Camp's got it. Similar question. How does it feel to be, right now, the favorite to win Cy Young of the league? Yeah, you know, it's a long season. I don't really like uh, individual stats, but, um, you know, it. I'm all about the Ws, you know? That's, That's it. Exactly. It's a team sport, right? All right, Joe, I'm going to get back down to the beers. Always a pleasure. Next game, Tuesday. Thanks, buddy. Break it down then. So there you go. There you have it. Kyle Camp, ace of the Stellwagen softball team, checking in um, and giving his take of how uh, Thursday night's win went. Huge win for the boys, 2-2 two and two now in the season. Uh, we now play again on Tuesday night, 9 o'clock game. Big way, uh, big game uh, for us to get back over 500 uh, was Thursday night. Huge to get 500. Now we're looking to improve, be 3-2 and two in the season. Tuesday night will be a big win if we can uh, pull one out. I'm excited to be there Tuesday night. Um, always a pleasure playing with these guys every single year. It's like, I think it's my fourth or fifth season now. Uh, my old neighbor in Southie, Steve, our second baseman, who I just talked about uh, a couple minutes ago for his singles, he played great. Um, two big singles, or th- maybe even three, two or three big singles in our Thursday night win. And then even on uh, Tuesday night, which we had a tough loss, we were up three runs going into uh, the bottom. We were, we were up one run, excuse me, or two runs going into the bottom of the seventh inning, or top of the seventh inning, and we ended up losing the one run. I think we were up 8-7, and... We end up giving up three runs or four runs, and we end up losing that game on Tuesday night. But Steve played great in that offensively, in which that game, the offense was great once again. We were great on offense in that game. It was just the defense in the later innings, um, you know, wasn't up to the degree we needed it. 
Um, but with how great we played on Thursday night, the boys are confident. I'm very confident in this team and where this team's going. As Kyle said, the sky's the limit for this team. Um, and I'm happy to be able to talk about them live on air right now. I'm excited to be able to uh, send them this. Obviously, I'm just recording this in my dorm room tonight. It's not live on the radio on uh, the AM station. But on Wednesday night, I will be live again on air. So hopefully um, they can listen in then live. I'll definitely send this to our email um, our email group chat uh, so they can listen in. But as I said, it's a pleasure playing with these guys. Um, there's nothing like going to these uh, games on Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Monday, Friday nights, especially during the summer. It's great. Um, even in the cold. I mean, the last few games have been cold, but being able to play with them is a pleasure, and, and I'm happy to be able to be part of the Quincy Men's Softball League on the Stellwagen squad. Um, so thank you guys for allowing me to play with you. Uh, looking forward to Tuesday night's game. Anyways, guys, wrapping up the rest of the show, BC Baseball right now. Down 4-1 to one at Virginia Tech in the top of the ninth. Virginia Tech guys, got guys in first and second with one out. Um, Pelio, Mason Pelio just entered the game. Uh, tough situation to come into, especially he's got a 12-08 ERA on the season. Tough for him to come in with guys on first and second, only one out. But hopefully we can try to find a way to get out of this jam and then go in, limit the damage and go into the bottom of the ninth, only down three. Northeastern Baseball finished off the game against High Point. Big win, 11-1. to, uh, 11-1. to one. Now looking tomorrow to win the, uh, the weekend series um, in Sunday's matchup. Northeastern needs it, uh, especially with, you know, they're about 18, 19 to one down season to get back to 500, just like the Stellwagen softball team. Getting back to 500 always is great knowing, you know, especially if you're down, if you're one and two or 18, 19 and one, you're only one game away from 500. And if you win another game, you're a game over 500 and you just keep building from there. So hopefully we can get, uh, another win tomorrow against High Point. It would be huge um, for Northeastern. Finishing up now with the Red Sox, bottom of the ninth inning, 0-0. A lot of close games here. Uh, Red Sox, 0-0 on the bottom of the ninth. Uh, the Rays do have a guy in first base right now, and obviously you never want to see, especially with that Rays lineup with how good they are, you definitely don't want to see uh, them ever with guys on base, especially the bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, let's see. Oh, we got three outs. Never mind. Double play. Huge. Trevor Story. Xander Bogarts, Trevor Story to Bobby Dahlbeck. We got out of the inning. Huge. Wow. Going into the top of the 10th inning now, it'll be extra innings for the Red Sox. Top of the 10th, 0-0 ball game. What a pitcher's duel. I mean, the Red Sox even have a hit yet? The Red Sox don't even have a hit, which is ridiculous. And the Rays only have two. What a pitcher's duel. Um, and now checking in on the Celtics really quickly. Uh, 53-50 now at halftime. Huge the Red Sox. Uh, not Red Sox, excuse me, for the Celtics to have a lead. Uh, this would be a huge win, obviously, if they could go up 3-0. Payne Pritchard, who have highlighted on the episode with Zach, 10 points in 8 minutes, 4 of 5 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3. Jason Tatum, 12 points, 2 of 6 from 3, and 4 of 9 from the field. And then Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, 8 points apiece, and Grant Williams at 7. Uh, looking at the net side, Bruce Brown has been playing very well this area, 16 points, 2 rebounds, Kyrie Irving with 10 points, and Kevin Durant with 7 points and 5 rebounds. Durant's 3 of 5 from the field, so I'd imagine his shot... Uh, his shot total will definitely go up. He only, he's only has five shots right now from the field. And you look at Kyrie Irving, he's 4 of 11. And uh, Bruce Brown, 7 of 13. Bruce Brown having 13 shots. And Kevin Durant only at five is ridiculous. I'd imagine Durant is going to take a lot of shots now in the last uh, second half of the game. So looking forward to being able to watch that. Anyways, this wraps, wraps up the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening in to another week of The Playbook with Joey and Zach. Um, we'll be back on Wednesday night. Definitely talk about the NFL draft. Um Probably talking about the Bruins, too. I mean, the Bruins only have, let me see right now, they only have a couple games before the playoffs. 
which is great. We'll, we'll cover that. Probably probably have the sports guru call in, talk about the Bruins, which would be great. The Bruins only have four games left of the season. Huge win today, um, which I know I was just closing up, but I forgot to talk about the Bruins. 3-1 to one win today was huge against the Rangers. The Rangers have had a great year, 51-22-6. Um, the Bruins had a huge goal in David Postonok's return, a goal and assist. Um, and then Trent Frederick, who's been very hot, had a goal. And then Taylor Hall, uh, had a goal. We need Taylor Hall to shoot more. That, that's been an issue. I know Mike Hurley called into Felger and Maz and said, Taylor Hall never shoots. And he's right. Taylor Hall has to shoot more. Huge for him to have a goal today. Bruins went 3-1. to one. Allmark was stellar in net. 30, uh, one sa- 30 saves and 31 uh, save um, opportunities. Um, and only allowed one goal to one of the best offenses in the NHL. So, big win for the Bruins. We'll cover that. Uh, they do play tomorrow night against the Montreal Canadian, the Canadiens. In Montreal, Jordan Harris, former Northeastern Husky, Husky captain. Um, you know I'm a big fan of him, as is Mark Walsh. I've been a big fan of him since his freshman year at Northeastern. Happy to see him finally make the NHL and make it big. He's been playing really well for the Canadians. Obviously, he doesn't have a goal and assist yet, uh, but from the few minutes I've seen in, uh, in, in a game or so, I've probably seen a game total now, and you know all the minutes cut up I've seen. I haven't watched a full game, but I've watched you know, five minutes every now and then. Um, he's looked really well. Played really well. Looked really good out there. Happy to see him finally get his opportunity in the NHL, especially with how highly touted of a prospect he was for a team that's been struggling um, this whole year. At least he brings some life and excitement to uh, the Canadiens organization. The Bruins do play him tomorrow. I would love to see him get a goal and assist in tomorrow's game. Obviously, it's tough with them playing the Bruins, but um, I'm a big Jordan Harris guy. I would love to see him score, especially with how good of a guy he was, how nice of a guy and uh, class act he was when me and Mark Walsh met him twice. Um, was a pleasure. And then after the Western Michigan game in the 4th of tournament, when he lost, uh, when Northeastern lost, excuse me for my voice cracking, i got to get my voice back here. Um, in that game, though, that they lost to Western Michigan, um, afterwards he gave a stick raise um, to the fan section, and then me and Mark were just a little bit to the left, and I banged on the glass, and he looked at me and Mark, he gave us a stick wave. He knew how much you know we loved Northeastern hockey and how big of fans he were, so it was great to have him uh, you know, give us some recognition. Um, obviously, with the Canadians, Guy Lafleur just passed away. Uh, Canadians and NHL legend just passed away at the age of 70. Um, huge loss. The Bruins actually paid tribute to him um, in today's game. Um, 70 years old, though, one of the best hockey players. My dad was always a big fan, and we have a couple of his hockey cards. Um, sad to see him go, especially at such a young age, only 70. Um, and I'm happy to see the Canadians um, commemorated him, especially with how much he dominated in the NHL and how great of a player he was. He was always elite um, and was one of the best players in the game every single season he played. So uh, my thoughts and prayers are with uh, the LaFleur family. Um, and thank you, Guy, for everything you did for the hockey, um, for the history of hockey, how great a player you were. And also factor in, I want to talk a little bit about Jerry York and how much he meant to the state of hockey, college hockey. Jerry, thank you so much for everything you did for Northeastern, not Northeastern, excuse me, for BC Hockey. Obviously, I'm a Northeastern Hockey fan as well as a BC Hockey fan, but everything you meant to the Hockey East with how great you recruited and made BC be a legit powerhouse in the Hockey East. Everyone's always highly regarded the Hockey East in the last 10 to 15 to 20 years because of how good of a head coach you were. Um, and I truly am thankful to being able to have seen you on campus four or five, six times this year and probably five times freshman year and being able to say hello to you. Um, you're a class act, nothing short of a, of a hockey legend, one of the best uh, coaches in probably hockey history, not even just college hockey, but in hockey history. Um, so it's truly a pleasure being able to be on campus at the same time you were coaching. 
Um, and I'm thankful to be able to have spoken to you multiple times. Truly are a great guy. And thank you for everything you did for BC hockey and hockey in general. I love college hockey and hockey, college hockey would not be the same without how great you were, especially at BC. BC hockey would not be as historic as it is today if it were not for you coming from Bowling Green in 1994 and creating a powerhouse um, with millions of first-round picks to come and, and great college hockey seasons and, and huge beanpot wins and national championships. College hockey, BC hockey, sports, BC sports in general would not be the same without you. So thank you for everything you did for the BC program. Um, and I look forward to seeing everything you do in your retirement. Hopefully see you back at County Forum for a game soon. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck just bore the Rays, uh, no hit bid in the 10th inning, just had an RBI triple. The Red Sox now are up 2-0. Vasquez just hit another run in. 2-0 in the bottom of the 10th inning. The Red Sox didn't have a hit until this inning. So winning this game and not having a hit until the 10th inning would be elite. Very proud to see how the Red Sox have grinded out this game. Hopefully we can close the game, but we know the Red Sox pitching woes have been an issue all year. Um, you know, it's short in the season, but, um... The pitching woes have been um, not great, you know, especially with how good the offense can be. We have so much potential. You're not going to win every game, even if you score five runs, if you're giving up seven or eight. So hopefully the Red Sox pitching gets better soon. Um, lastly, um, I just want to talk one second about uh, the Celtics. The Celtics are up 53-50 right now. If they were to win tonight, it would be 3-0. Big difference between 2-1 and one and 3-0. Me and Zach will be back on Wednesday night, uh, which would be the same time probably as our show. Or realistically, if they were to be a Game 5 and the Nets were to win, either 3 or 4, Game 5 would probably be Wednesday night, maybe around the same time as our show at 7. Um, I know Zach will probably want to watch that game if it were to be a 7 o'clock game. If it's an 8 o'clock game, um, we'll probably still do our show from 7 to 8. Um, but it's a 7 o'clock game. I'll probably be in the studio just because the NFL draft is on Thursday. And I'll have a ton to cover, especially since... Uh, uh, the NFL draft is one of my favorite things in the world. I'll give, you know, my top 10 mock draft again, maybe even 15 I'll go up to. Um, I'll give some insight into sleepers, some guys I think are going to be breakout players, and uh, guys that I think are going to be bust. I'm going to definitely give some insight into that. I'm looking forward to doing that, especially since I love college hockey. Uh, college hockey, excuse me. I love college football. I love the NFL. I love the Giants, obviously, and they have a big opportunity ahead of them at 5-7 and seven, uh, in the draft, 5th and 7th picks. Um, I covered the Frozen 4 tournament last week's episode. Um, obviously, Denver won over Minnesota State, 5-1. to one. They scored four goals, um, five goals, excuse me, five goals in the third period. Um, huge win. They lit up Dryden McKay, who won the Hobie Baker Award. McKay's actually been in the news over the past week. Um, he actually took... Um, some supplement that had some type of, it wasn't performing enhancing drug, but it was a drug that was outlawed or against uh, the college hockey guidelines. Um, and he ended up being, I think, suspended like six months. So he'd have to wait now to start his professional career in the fall. Um, he won the Hobie Baker Award. I guess they knew about it midseason in February. Um, and there was a mediator involved in February that said, you know, he could finish out the season type of thing because they didn't think it was performance enhancing. But the Hobie Baker um, Foundation just announced that they're not going to strip him of the Hobie Baker Award um, that he did win. He was the recipient of it um, a couple months, a couple weeks ago now um, at Encore in Boston. Obviously, Devin Levi won the Richter Award, which is Given the best college hockey goalie, he was very much um, uh, warranted. He, he deserved it more than any goal in college hockey. I think he was better than Dryden McKay. Dryden McKay gave five goals in that um, third period to Denver. 
Um, and I don't think Devin Levi would have done that. But obviously, Dryden K had a great year, 37 wins in the season. Was a lead all year, but obviously Minnesota State being a top-five team in the country all season, Debbie gave him a higher chance of winning it just because Minnesota State was highly regarded all year and had all the media attention. But I'm happy to see Denver win. Uh, they were a legitimate wagon all season. My dad actually had Denver versus Minnesota State in the finals, um, so it's impressive. He had Denver over Minnesota State. I obviously had Northeastern. Uh, winning it just because I'm a big Northeastern fan. But I did have, after Northeastern lost to Western Michigan, after the first weekend, I came in on Wednesday and had Denver winning it. Um, obviously, my dad's a big fan of them. I was a big fan of Bobby Brink, who I think should have won the Hobie Baker Award. Um, had a great season. Tough to see him not win it. Um, he was the Division One points leader. Had a great season. Um, and also had a huge assist in overtime to beat Michigan in the semifinals game. 3-2, uh, to two, they beat Michigan. Michigan, as I've said before, at 14 for draft picks, NHL draft picks on their team. Uh, and seven first round is four of the top five picks in the 2020, 2021 NHL draft were to, uh, went to Michigan uh, for, you know, were on the team this year. So they had 14 college uh, hockey players that were drafted in the NHL in seven first-rounders. So they were a legit wagon. I was happy to see them lose just because although it was unfair having 14 guys be NHL draft picks and you only suit, you know, 17 or 18 guys for a game. I just thought it was, you know, ridiculous that they had that many. Um, you shoot like 19 guys, let's say, for a game, maybe 20 with that extra skater and 14 in the NHL draft picks. That's ridiculous. Happy to see Denver win. They deserved it. Five goals in the third period. They were down one nothing going into three. Um... Sam Morton scored um, in the second period uh, to give uh, Minnesota State the lead. Denver ended up scoring five goals, I said, in the third period. Huge win for them. I look forward to, co- I look forward to covering college hockey again next season. Sad the season's over, but I'm a big college hockey fan. Looking forward to next year, um, especially for Northeastern with all the talent they have coming back in. Sam Colangelo and Gunnar and Fontaine, Jaden Struble, Jack Hughes, Riley Hughes, Devin Levi. Um, looking forward to seeing them grow and develop as a team. Hopefully a bigger season next year. Um, for them. And then one last thing, BC baseball finished up the series tomorrow against Virginia tech. Um, they right now, um, still the ninth inning, still losing four to one. I believe, um, they do finish up that season series, uh, weekend series, excuse me, tomorrow at one. And they play at home Tuesday night against Rhode Island. They had a tough loss to UConn on Wednesday at home, eight, nothing. Um, and then also got swept by NC state, um, had close games at NC State, though. 4-3, to three, they lost the first game. 7-6 to six in 11 innings, and then 6-3. to three. Northeastern went into NC State earlier in the year and actually swept them when they were the number eight team in the country. Northeastern was unreal pitching um, and won all three games, which was great to start the season. BC Baseball struggled against them, but BC only lost by one in two of those games, and NC State has so much talent. And BC Baseball did win the Beanpot, obviously, 14-10 to 10 over UMass Amherst, which was a huge win. I covered it a little bit in last week's episode. I'm only covering some things again just because I like having it recorded so people that are listening in um, can get some information about you know what's going on in college baseball, college football, college hockey. Um, I do that a ton just so people can know what's going on. Uh, BC was the visitor at home in that finals game. Um, they were down 7-2 in the third inning, rebounded with two runs each in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh innings, um, and then four runs in the eighth. 25 hits between both teams. 25 hits is nuts. Uh, 12 for BC and 13 for UMass. It was a high offense game, high offensive game. Uh, Joe Vetrano stayed hot, was 3-5 that game with three RBIs. Travis Honeyman was 2-5. Luke Gold was 2-4 with three RBIs. Um, and the pitching has been an issue for BC all year. Um, and they have, the, they have that lineup hitting-wise to score enough runs. It's just the pitching that's been an issue. 
Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening in to this week's episode. Um, I'm sorry again uh, for not being able to have it this past Wednesday. Um, I was at the Red Sox game, and then Zach was also watching the Celtics' first game um, against the Nets. Or was it the second game? It was game two against the Nets. Um, so it was obviously uh, tough timing with the Nets being versus the Celtics at that same time. But thank you guys so much for listening every single week. Um, and lastly, as I always do, I just want to um, give uh, thoughts, uh, thoughts and prayers with the Ukraine. Once again, I've done it now probably four or five straight episodes. Um, and as I've said, I love sports more than anything. It's a pleasure being able to come on here and talk about sports. Without, obviously, there's a lot of things going on in the world. Um, and being able to have the privilege to come on and talk about sports. Um, is a pleasure and great for me, but obviously there's a lot of things going on in the Ukraine and just want to give my thoughts and prayers with them since I have the platform to do so. Um, hopefully things get better there soon. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. I'll be back this Wednesday night with Zach. Hopefully uh, the Celtics can sweep this series and they won't have a game Wednesday night. Uh, we'll be back Wednesday night to talk about the NFL draft, the Celtics, probably, probably have some time for some more call-ins. Obviously last week I had my friend Matt call in, Michael Frankie call in, uh, Mark Walsh called in, and then I also had my dad call in last week and then also this week. Pleasure being able to have all of them come on. Obviously, obviously it was tough not having it save, um, but it was great being able to have my dad come on again tonight and give a breakdown of you know everything we kind of talked about last week. Thank you guys so much again for listening. Looking forward to Wednesday night's episode. Hope you guys have a good rest of the weekend. Stay safe, stay well. Go Celtics. Have a good one. Take it easy. Thank you guys, as always. I appreciate it. it truly means a lot.